to the College Student Success Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping college students with mental health issues set and achieve goals for themselves to get them where they want to be. I am your host, Derek Malinzak, and this is episode 51 of the podcast. And I got a good one for you today, folks. I uh, have another interview coming your way today, and this is with a college student. Uh, I think it's my third such interview with a college student uh, that has had mental health issues in the past coming on the show, talking about goals, talking about what's gotten them through college. I think that's the uh, unique uh, common thread there that all three of the, uh, the ladies that I had on to talk about their college experience have all recently uh, graduated in some regard, uh, either with an uh, associate's or bachelor's. So... Today, I'm very excited to bring on Faye. Uh, I've known Faye for a little while now, and uh, I really I love her story. Uh, she's got a good one and uh, really put a lot of effort into the interview, so I hope you enjoy it today. Um, first off, before we get into that, uh, a couple things. So uh, I normally do a quick tip, and today I have a text quick tip. Um, so I won't actually be talking about tips as much as directing you where to find some because da, 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 I have an announcement to make. Um, I had my very first ever guest blog post drop this past week. Uh, if you guys remember a few episodes back, I interviewed uh, Brian Robin from TakeYourSuccess.com. And he was gracious enough to uh, allow me to come on to his blog and do a guest post. And the post is about dealing with depression in college. And some of the um, questions he asked relate to, you know, how best to manage things, you know, what to look for if somebody that you know and are friends with is, uh, might be depressed and, and things like that. So there's a bunch of tips in there. Uh, I hope you take the time to read it and the link is in today's show notes. So take a look if you uh, have any questions or have been thinking about anything related to dealing with depression in college. Uh, speaking of college, I want to talk a little bit now about the topic of the day. Uh, this is one that really hit home for me. Um, so I'm just going to read it. This is coming from Reddit, the college subreddit on reddit.com. Uh, it is by Rini. And Rini says, I'm really upset and can use some tips and maybe some positive encouragement. I'm having a hard time adjusting to some new physical restrictions. I'm a note taker. To study, I like to take notes and write them over and over and over again. It helps to cement things in my head. However, I was recently diagnosed with carpal tunnel sun syndrome. There is some contention about the diagnosis, but the point is that I'm slowly losing the use of my right hand. The pain is horrible, my hand goes numb when writing, and my penmanship has gotten horrible. With some physical therapy, it's gotten better, but I have been given lots of restrictions. I need to baby my hand as much as possible, and even without these restrictions, I'm barely able to get through my notes once, much less multiple times with the pain and numbness. My grades are slipping, I need to get ahead of this, I need to find a new way to study that will keep things stuck in my head without the need to write it down because I can't physically do it anymore. Okay, Rini. Um, so I, um, I can't totally relate to this problem, but in some way I can. Um, so I'm just going to tell a little story first uh, that kind of relates. I was uh, working on uh, the goal from last semester that I had, you know, working on my online course. 
And it was in the home stretch. It was actually after the podcast uh, spring semester had ended. And I was doing a lot of wrap-up work. And it was a lot of um, editing, video editing. And there were 30 videos. So I had to do, you know, anytime I did a little change to a video, I ended up having to do it basically 30 times. Um, and I was in the home stretch. And I was like, this, this is the last day. I'm, I've just got to get this done. I'm, I'm so done with it. I started in January. I, I conceived of it even before then. And I went like a 12-hour day of marathon uh, on the computer. And I didn't use a mouse. I was using my trackpad the whole day. Uh, and the clicking of the trackpad, you know, thousands of times that day actually caused pain in the, the index finger on my right hand that I usually use to click the trackpad and also click the uh, on the mouse. And man, it it wouldn't go away. And it got to the point where I would just start, go on the computer, I would use my finger for a few minutes and it would start, the pain would start. And I was like, oh, man, I really effed it up. Um, and then I had pain associated with like kind of what you described with my wrist and my elbow after that. I mean, it was, it was a few weeks before I had, I didn't have that anymore, but the pain with my finger had persisted. This was in early June. Uh, and all summer I had the pain. I went away for two and a half weeks, the end of August, didn't touch a computer basically. Came back, same problem. Went to see a doctor. They were like, it's just a bone bruise. And wouldn't you know it, right in conjunction, he didn't do anything for me, but I think just right in conjunction with that uh, visit to the doctor, I was finally like, all right, there's got to be something wrong, like a ligament issue or a tendon or I chipped it or something, a bone chip. And uh said, no, just a bone bruise. And wouldn't you know it, it's actually felt like infinitely better in the last two weeks. Uh, maybe just keep my, putting my mind at ease or what. But I also got a, um, uh, what do they call it, an ergonomic mouse which has helped a lot with my wrist pain as well. So that's one thing that if you are, when you need to use a computer, if you are using a standard mouse, uh, it contorts your wrist in a way that doesn't really, um, it's not natural. So look for like vertical mouse or er vertical mouse is what I found. I found it's like a bestseller on Amazon. It was 20 bucks and it has been uh, super awesome in terms of helping me with, uh, with some pain I had. I think just naturally some of the pain went away too. But uh, so that's one suggestion. I actually did write back to her, uh, her or him. I'm not sure who, if it's a man or a woman. Um, so I said, uh, go to your college's disability office and talk to them. You might be able to get some accommodations for help with taking notes. A note taker to take them for you, for example. This is not going to help you with the repetition you describe needing to help you study. Try reading the notes out loud in lieu of writing them down. Record yourself reading them and play them back to yourself a second or third time while you're doing something else. Um, something that's sort of low impact, like that you're not really using your brain, uh, like riding the bus or working out or driving. Uh, your brain seems to learn info through different channels, um, audio and visual. So if you just are isolating the audio, um, that's, you know, a good way to do it. And it also is um, listening like that, like you're listening to this podcast right now, has very low cognitive load, which means you don't need a lot of cognitive functioning to absorb the learning content and absorb the um, basic, the basic ideas. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I'm so fascinated by podcasting and why I was interested in doing one and why I might want to study it in the future 
for um, my dissertation. Who knows? Um, so I looked into this a little more too, and I thought about it some more. I had a few more ideas since making that post. Um, one thing I, I mentioned was oh, somebody else actually underneath me when I posted mentioned dictation software. So I want to give them credit. Um, that's a good idea in terms of, uh, relieving you the, the, um, need to write things down, at least to capture the information in class, right? So what she was describing is like a study need, but, um, I think dictation software and a, and a note taker, uh, like an accommodation through your school's Office for Disability Services, um, might be good options for just the initial capture, but it's not going to help with the with the specific need she has, he or she has, with studying. Um, so that's where I think speaking it out loud is a mm, possible alternative to writing it down in terms of being able to encode the material, which is what you're trying to do here, encode the material and actually learn it and retain it for, you know, long-term, you know, examinations, evaluations, you know, that sort of shit. Um, I also think uh, you might be able to get creative with your accommodations. Get friendly with the disability services department in your college. You're going to have to get documentation that you have this, you know, carpal tunnel. Shouldn't be hard for you to get it. It seems like you've been to the doctor recently about it. Um, you'll have to submit that. You're registered with the disability office and then talk to them about your needs. Um, they, they may be very limited in their thinking because they only offer the same, you know, three or four accommodations to everybody, basically. Or you may get a really inventive, innovative um, worker that is able to work with you on, on your unique needs, which... Are, are kind of specific. So for instance, um, you might be able to get an accommodation to have uh, like flashcards created for you, you know, um, by maybe even the person that would be your note taker. Um, and you might be able to make the argument that, you know, you require, you know, this, uh, this writing and, you know, constant repetition and in lieu of being able to do that due to your disability, so you, this is a disability, you may not consider yourself disabled otherwise, but it, it may be a temporary thing, but you can leverage this into some additional resources that other students may not be eligible for, that may cost other students money that the school would pay for, like the dictation software, um, or a digital recorder if you needed it, um, so I would talk to them and see if there's anything that they can do to help you with the, the retention aspect, the studying aspect, accommodations that might be able to be created. Like, I don't think extra time for assignments is going to really help you in this case. Um, if it was something that you were going to get resolved in the next month and you knew that you'd be back writing again in three months, just fine, I might, you know, advocate or urge you to advocate to take it incomplete but it doesn't seem like there's a, a timeline, and I would not want to. Um, I wouldn't want to just delay the class unnecessarily unless you had a concrete reason for it. Like I'm only going to, you know, be having this disability. It's temporary for the next few months, but I just got surgery or something. So I think your disabilities office will be uh, a good resource, or hopefully is a good resource for you. You know, some are really good, some not so much. 
it's an area of interest of mine that I've been uh, looking a lot into recently, actually. So hope this helps. Um, okay, now I will be introducing our interview for today. Um, so last week, I know I went a little bit long. Uh, it was a, probably my longest podcast ever. It was over an hour. Um, so um, it didn't work out purposely this way, but this is, happens to be a shorter interview. It's going to be a shorter podcast today. Um, it may just be a, a, a tough week for you all. You may not be able to give me a full hour. That's okay. Um, but I believe it clocked in around a little over 20 minutes. So I hope you enjoy it. And I will be back after to uh, take stock of what we talked about. So take it away, Derek and Faye. Hey there, we are back, and I have Faye with me today. I'm really excited to have her on the podcast. Uh, so, Faye, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming on. No problem. I'm pleased to be here. Thanks for asking me. Oh, it's great. Um, so, why don't we get the audience up to speed with kind of who you are, um, what you're doing now with it when it comes to college, um, and can you just kind of explain to the audience uh, who Faye is? Sure. So, I'm 48. I've got a lot of titles, like I'm the mother of two beautiful kids. My son is a Rutgers student, too, which is a kick. <laughs> he actually thinks it's cool we're in college together. That's good. Also, Yeah. <laughs> it's a little odd. I don't know if we're going to graduate together, but he thinks that it would be neat for us to be sitting next to each other and graduating together. So yeah. he's, he's not your average guy. Um, your average kid who would be embarrassed, he, he, he's really awesome. Cool. I'm also the wife of an incredible guy I've been married to for almost 23 years. 23 years! Uh, I'm a case manager at a transitional housing facility in Somerset County, and that's where I served my internship. And I kind of fell into the job. They asked me uh, if I would stay after the end of my internship, which was huge, and I was really grateful. Uh, it's the first time I'm really working since I stopped to raise my kids. So it's been, my son's 19, so it's been 19 years basically since, since I've worked in a professional job. I don't have the title of peer in my job description, and I am a peer, but I get to work with people with co-occurring disorders like me, and I, I really love it. Um, like I said, I'm a student at Rutgers. I graduated this past spring with my associate's degree in psych rehab. And I'm currently working on my BSHS with a psych rehab concentration. Um, I think I'd like to go on and get a master's degree and see where I go from there. But I'm going to try and take it one day, one degree at a time because I looking forward too far is overwhelming and I get anxious. So I'm just working on my on my BS at the moment. Um, I'm, I'm also a person in recovery. Uh, I've been clean and sober for almost 27 years, and at the time I got sober, I was diagnosed with and medicated for several mental health issues. Uh, at this point in my life, I feel like I'm making a lot of progress with my recovery, and being in school and working has really helped with that. And that's me. All right. Thank you. So a couple of terms you used, I just want to um, break down for the audience in case Absolutely. they haven't heard them. So when Faye says she's a, she had the term peer, or you mentioned the term peer... Um, in our, in our field, we use the term peer to describe people, somebody that's in recovery from some kind of, um, mental health issue, but is also sort of working in the field with people that are also in recovery. That's right. Um, and then the other term you used co-occurring disorder, which you kind of break down a little later. Um, 
in addition to having a mental health diagnosis, you also have a substance abuse history and diagnosis. So that is the term we we use in the field co-occurring, meaning you have two two disorders occurring at the same time. Correct. Um, so yeah, that was a really great kind of breakdown of who you are. And, you know, I had you on the show because, you know, as I've known you, you've been always very open about, you know, the things that you struggled with. Um, and I think that the people on the, on the podcast that listen can really kind of benefit from hearing, you know, your story. Um, interested in some of the obstacles that you've had to endure and overcome that are related to school. Um, can you talk about those? Sure. I think um, managing a mental illness, or I'm not supposed to use that word, managing um, mental health issues while being a student is like managing any other medical condition that's exacerbated by stress. Because I've got so much going on in my life, I need to check in with myself a lot during the day and make sure I'm okay. Last semester got really intense for me. I was working um, in my job a bunch of hours pushing myself to maintain a ridiculously high GPA. And it seemed like there weren't enough hours in the day, and I started to feel like I was cracking under the pressure, which um, I'll talk about uh, more later, but that, that cracking feeling is when I know that I'm, I'm possibly in trouble with my mental health. Yeah. I managed to finish a semester with a 4.0, which I'm trying really hard to maintain, but I had to question whether it was worth the cost of my mental health. I talked to friends about it, really spent some time being introspective, came to the conclusion that a grade is just not worth my health. It's a fairly answer, uh, obvious answer to most people, but put a degree of OCD in the mix, a little bit of OCD, and it gets a little more complicated. Moving forward, I'm, I'm just going to do the best I can. That's it. I'd like to graduate with high honors, but I can't expect perfection for myself. It's, it's just something I need to keep working on. Yeah, I like that answer because you, you kind of talked about, you know, your own goals for yourself. And you are, you know, definitely a high achiever having taught you. You know, you've had that 4.0, you've had really good grades. And um, it, it, it's a testament to your hard work and also to the, the high standards and goals you set for yourself. And I think it's great that you kind of checked in with yourself and checked yeah. in with your, your support network at some point to be like, wait a second, I don't know how much of it, how important this goal really should be for me. Um, so that's really great. It's not saying, you know, you're getting, you're abandoning it, but you kind of put it back in perspective. Sounds it needs to be put into perspective. Yeah. I, I started off needing to get 100 on everything. And a friend of mine said, um, you know, all you have to do is get a 93 to get the A. That's the same as getting 100. And it was a bit of um, a revelation for me. I said, oh, I never, it never occurred to me. And that took pressure off of me uh, in and of itself. So that made it a little easier. But last yeah. semester, last semester was rough for me. There was just too much going on. But I, I managed to pull it out. I don't, I don't yeah. know how I did it, but I did. Well, congrats. Thanks. Um, so I want to talk about recovery for a little bit. It's sort of um, it's an interesting term in that a lot of everybody kind of has a different view of it. I know a lot of times when people are hearing the term recovery, they think about substance abuse, you know, um, because it's very prevalent in the media. Um, but we often talk about recovery in terms of mental health recovery too. 
Um, you have both disorders, so you might have even a more unique perspective. So I'm interested in kind of, if you could describe to me, what does recovery mean to you? I never even thought about recovery until I had this mental health crisis around four years ago and I spent a summer in an outpatient treatment program. The concept of recovery didn't exist for me. Mental illness was something that my mother deals with in her life and passed it on to me through genetics and childhood trauma. I was a mentally ill person. It was very much central to my, my identity, my personal identity. Interestingly, though, being diagnosed and beginning treatment was um, a paradigm shift for me. My perception was that my diagnoses were answers to why I was different, why I couldn't get out of bed, why I thought I was just having low blood sugar issues when I was really having panic attacks. I was thrilled to know there was a reason I wasn't broken. I was just ill. I could live with that. Outpatient treatment gave me tools, taught me how to utilize them, and the things I'm soaking up in my classes at Rutgers, doing a lot of learning, different types of learning, and a lot of work to apply what I'm learning in my life, I've been able to reprogram my brain against a lot of the disordered thinking and actions that were normal to me when I was younger. Um, now I perceive that recovery is an ongoing process. I feel like I'm a person living with mental illness, not a walking, talking manifestation of mental illness. Yeah, that's like a really well, well-worded way to kind of put that, especially at the end there. I think about identity a lot, too, when I think about recovery. You know, I'm I'm in recovery for for substance abuse too, and I've talked about it openly on the show. And and really, mm -hmm. that that for me is the same thing as like, I knew I was a sick person. You know, when I was really when I was before recovery, uh, and just had such a poor image of myself, and had such such little hope that I would mm -hmm. be able to function in, in any other way. And I compare that to now, where you know I still have the illness, <laughs> yeah, um, but. You know, the, the the pessimism, the hope is is completely been has replaced the pessimism, and um, the identity now is like, you know, recovering alcoholic. That's actually pretty well right now, and and, and healthy, and you know, I'm I'm successful, and you know, yeah. so many things mm -hmm. that I kind of identify with now. But still, like you said, I still incorporate the fact that yeah, I have this thing, um, and it actually in the end sort of makes me a stronger person. Agreed. Yeah. Totally agreed. A lot of, I think, my success in my recovery, I, I would attribute to my support network. And I'd like to maybe talk a little bit about that. Um, mm -hmm. I think most people would agree, you know, support is important and, and probably central to their recovery. Um, so I'm interested in you if you could tell me a little bit about your support network and specifically how they may have impacted the timeline of your recovery. Um, do you have anything to say related to that? I always have something to say. <laughs> great. Well, it's good that I'm interviewing you then. <laughs> <laughs> I have a great support network, a great, a great, great support network. Um, I went right into Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous when I was newly clean and sober. They were great in my infancy, but I found myself doing the three-step, as they call it. Um, I took responsibility for my own sobriety one day at a time. Uh, I was able to make amends and such, but I couldn't get past that third step of putting myself in the hands of a higher power because it just didn't fit in with my spiritual beliefs. Mm. I got confident enough to start to do it on my own when I met my husband 
Uh, he liked to smoke pot occasionally, but he didn't really have a drug or alcohol issue. He stopped using not because he had a problem, but because he wanted to support me. And he hasn't had a drink or anything since before we got married. My, my kids, I scared them straight when they were growing up. I told them about the hole in my septum and my nose from cocaine use. I told them about the blackouts. I told them about being date raped. Um, I especially told them about the loss of self-control that comes with using substances. I, I really believe that being an open book about my past and telling them and other people about all the scary and terrible things that can happen, well, surprise, they made the decision not to drink. Yeah. My son, my son's in college. Like I said, my daughter's a junior in high school. They both deal with peer pressure to a degree, but they're really strong people with a strong sense of themselves. And because they feel so intensely about staying straight, they help me stay sober. I, I know I'd lose everything if I strayed from this path and my life is too important to risk that. Uh, as far as, as far as my mental health recovery goes, I have a lot of support from my close friends and family. My husband doesn't necessarily understand or relate to what I deal with, but he's seen me break down and it scared him enough to support me unconditionally. I, actually, he's always supported me unconditionally. This was, it just went to a new level uh, when this happened. There was a time that I was trying cocktail after cocktail of psychotropic drugs um, a cocktail being different combinations. Uh, I was trying to find a combination that was effective, and it was an extremely difficult process. I gained a lot of weight. My whole family was walking on eggshells because I was really unstable. I was either unmedicated and emotional or drugged and uh, so blunted in so many different ways. Mm. I distinctly remember a conversation with my husband where I was talking about giving up the psychotropic drugs altogether, I said, you can have a wife who feels too much and is thin and unstable, or you can have a wife that is medicated but won't have access to a range of emotion and is heavy. Um, Matt, my husband, said unequivocally that he didn't care about my weight and he would support me either way, but I was scaring the kids with my emotional instability and my outbursts. Um, took years, but I finally found a cocktail that works. I have various side effects now, but I do perceive that I'm stable and I've been able to achieve things I couldn't imagine achieving before. School, for one thing, was completely out of my reach before I was stable on these meds. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's only the meds that have taken me this far. I worked really hard on myself. Um, it took being an outpatient to start utilizing uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and a lot of other tools so that I could learn to understand how to help myself. I, I feel like I was able to regain control after losing it before my summer at Jen Sykes outpatient program. Also, um, my best friend and my mother both deal with anxiety and depression. They're a big part of my support network. We share a lot of insight. We help each other through obstacles that occur as part of life, but that can derail someone with mental health issues. It's good to have people to rely on who are on the same path of recovery. Yeah, it certainly does. That's a, a real good testament to, you know, your supports, your family, and also the supports outside your family you talk about, too. You know, the community supports of um, AA and NA. Um, you know, you got what you could out of them, and I think that yeah. that's a, a good kind of 
way to take them because not everybody's going to subscribe to, you know, all of those principles. Right. Uh, and then, you know, your discussion about, you know, how outpatient treatment has helped you. Um, so if I, kind of a word of just advice to people out there is if you're not feeling supported right now, or if you don't feel like you have that support network, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you don't think that your family is, is very supportive, you know, they are aspects out there in community mental health that you can find that support, you know, mm-hmm. through self-help groups. And it doesn't have to be A or NA. There are a lot yeah. of other self-help groups even related to substance use that do not preach the higher power, you know, 12-step principles. Um, so I'm glad you, you highlighted those as well as, as what your family's done for you. Um, they yeah. keep me straight, too. <laughs> I know yeah. that feeling. I can't mess up for them. There's a lot at stake. Yeah. So, um, you know, you mentioned uh, your, your age in the beginning, and I want to just talk about uh, this idea of a non-traditional student, which we've discussed at times on the podcast. Um, you would fall into that, even though I think it's a, a misnomer term. Yeah. Um, and many of your classmates are closer to your, your children's age, as you mentioned, than to your own. Yes, um, they are. And I imagine that is the case in a lot of uh, schools now, and more and more, that uh, old, people that are older are going back to school or going to school for the first time, and they probably have these conflicting feelings. Can you talk mm-hmm. at all about how, if at all, it's impacted your schooling, being a non-traditional student? You know, I've had a taste of the traditional college experience after high school, it was great finding people my age who understood me and related to me. It was such a different experience for me. I was a rebel at the time. I partied like crazy. Um, I was rebelling against a lot of um, control that my parents had on, on me. And I went all the way to Iowa from New Jersey to, to get free of that. Uh, but I did end up failing out after my freshman year. This time, I found people in my classes I like very much, but I don't seem to have the social aspect to connect me to them. Mm. I couldn't have imagined wanting to befriend a professor when I was 18, but now I find myself relating much more to the professors and staff. There's an intellectual draw to them because they have so much of the knowledge that I'm wanting to soak up. I think... I tend to relate more to the faculty because they are generally closer to my age and my stage of life than the other students, generally. Uh, there are people in my classes that, that are closer to my age, uh, but I've always tended to surround myself with people who challenge me intellectually, and my professors definitely do that. Okay, yeah, I mean, it's good to note that, you know, just because you might be in a classroom with, you know, students younger than you doesn't necessarily mean the, the professor might not be, you know, they're in that classroom with you. So right. I'm glad you bring that up. Um, all right. This has been an awesome interview. I really appreciate having you on. I wanted to just ask you one more question. Um, sure. If you have any advice for college students that have, you know, mental health issues going on and, you know, that have set goals and dreams for themselves and for whatever reason, it could be mental health or otherwise, are struggling right now to make any progress. What would you say mm-hmm. to that, that person right now? an interesting question. Imperfection, I I say this often, imperfection is a human condition. We all struggle. Everyone does. We as people living with mental illness have more challenges than many other people, and that's okay. I think it's really important to be patient with yourself. Stuff is going to happen. You get anxious, get depressed, you'll get overwhelmed, you'll think you can't do it. Bring it down to moving forward 
one day at a time, one hour at a time, one minute at a time. If you take a step backwards, that's okay because you're human. So then take a step forward, like just one. Show yourself you can. Take pride in every little thing you do to better yourself. I can tell you from my experience that success has a way of making everything easier. Yeah, it really does. It, you experience a little bit of, of positive growth, and it really does you know, spur on the momentum to try other things to grow as well. So mm-hmm. um, I, I agree with that. Okay? You know, just to kind of latch on to whatever little thing you are proud of about yourself um, and you know, go from there. It doesn't have to be big, big steps in the beginning. So. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Faye, for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate you kind of being an open book and, and telling your story and, and potentially inspiring other people that are in a similar situation that, uh, that they could do it, they, even if they've been out of school for a long time um, yeah. or they've had, you know, issues with drugs and alcohol or they've had, you know, play, times when they felt like they couldn't fucking do it. Yeah. That, you know, you are a proven story to say, like, no, actually you can. Like, you didn't even <laughs> mention it, but you just got your associate's degree and, yeah. you know, you were, actually, I think you did mention it, but then you, you know, you weren't satisfied with that and now you're in the bachelor's program and, yeah. and kicking ass there. So uh, keep it up. <laughs> Good luck. And thank, you. thank you again for coming on the show. My pleasure, Derek. Thanks for having me. Okay, we are back. And I did forget to mention this in the beginning, so I'll just mention it now. I am aware that I've been having some audio issues with you know, popping and just, um, it's not feedback, but it's just like, I don't know, some kind of noise that is not pleasant, and I apologize for the uh, poor quality. I noticed it a few episodes ago, and it seems like it got worse in the last episode, specifically towards the end. I think it might have to do with the recorder that I'm using, uh, the microphone that I'm using. Uh, so I think I'm going to have to possibly get a new one, maybe upgrade. Might be time to upgrade, upgrade, yeah. Um, so I'm just using... Um, I'm using a lower quality mic today, but I, I do think that it will eliminate at least that cracking and popping that um, I wasn't able to get out of the uh, recording. So, sorry about that. Um, hope you did enjoy that interview with Faye uh, as much as I did. I think she gave some really great information and tips. Um, she has, you know, as she said, you know, definitely struggled in a lot of different areas, and I, uh, I tip my hat to her. I see a lot of the things that I talk about on this podcast when I when I hear her story. Um, I certainly see the passion for what she does for her work. Um, she's you know working in the field that she wants to you know that she's going for her um, bachelor's degree in, and sees it to be a great value to her. You know she's doing work that not only you know helps the people that or in her agency, but also I think it helps her. You know, she finds the work gratifying. And when you find your work gratifying, it tends to lead to a more fulfilling life overall. Um, Faye was able to leverage the internship opportunity she got with the school into a, a, I think, pretty nearly full-time job now. And rather quickly, might I add. So normally an internship, you have to be doing 16 hours a week in our program, um, basically free, right? Unpaid internship. Uh, and she was able to like very quickly, uh, not, 
you know, full on go straight to full time right away because she was, I think, a full time student then too. But um, slowly work up her hours uh, to the point where eventually some of her paid hours were able to count as internship hours. Now that's leverage, you know, being able to, you know, take what, you know, you have to be there anyway. And now she was getting paid for, you know, a portion of it, I believe. Um, if it wasn't actually in her specific case, I do know of other agencies that, that have done that in cases. So, uh, if you really, uh, get a cool internship and can, you know, prove yourself and be awesome, they will want to hire you. Um, I think there is a movement, a trend towards that, um, across most sectors. I know Facebook has, has done a lot and there's been a lot of stories about their recruiting methods now and how internships are their primary way of recruiting talent. Um, because they invest so much when they, when they take an intern on, you know, the company does in training them and, um, it's worth it if they're halfway decent and definitely worth it if they're above that to retain those staff. Um, accountability wise, Faye is, is second to none. Um, she is both accountable to herself in keeping track of the things she needs to do, reminding herself, setting up systems for not forgetting or letting things fall through the crack. And she's also incredibly accountable to other people. You know, if she is not going to have something on time, she owns up to it. She understands that she may be penalized. She's never asking for um, special favors or excuses. She never uses her disability as a reason for not being able to get something in on time. Um, and I really respect that about her. And then sustainability. Some of those systems she said she set up for herself um, you know, with respect to keeping track of her assignments and her calendaring and everything is a very sustainable way to do it because she has to manage not only her work life, her school life, but also her family life. You know, she's got children and a husband and friends. And so, um, I know a lot of you are in these situations too. So I think it's just cool that I was able to kind of relate back to these uh, five factors that I've talked about, you know, passion or curiosity for passion, value, leverage, accountability, and sustainability. And I kind of see them all in her. and They all have kind of come out in that interview. So hope you enjoyed that. Uh, this week for your home exercise, uh, pretty simple. You know, I meant to do it sort of last week, but because the interview was related to the wealth setting principles, I really wanted that to be something you focused on for a week. So we delayed it a week. Um, take stock of where you're at with your goal progress. You know, you set a goal hopefully four or five, no, five or six weeks ago at this point. Um, where, where are you at with that goal? How is it going? You know, did you hit a roadblock? Did you forget about it after week one? <laughs> um, do you need to set a new goal? Uh, have you achieved it already? Um, are you really right exactly where you expected to be? Um, I happen to be at the moment, so I'll give you a quick update on my progress. Um, my goal is to you know do well in my um, graduate course that I signed up for. I'm uh, keeping on top of my assignments, and that's the number one way that I've been able to... Uh, to keep to stay on track with my goal, you know, I haven't actually figured out a routine with working on my uh, online college class that I'm taking, but I'm using a lot of the same principles that I use for, you know, not letting myself get get behind in my classes that I teach when it comes to things like grading and preparing for exams and lectures. 
So I've been able to use a lot of the same principles. I actually had one issue come up where I had to find somebody to do an assessment on, and I don't have access to people. The class is a, a course on substance abuse and mental illness. And it, a lot of the people that take the class are in the mental health field and have, you know, innumerable amounts of people to that they could interview for something like this. But I don't. So I had to kind of call in a favor with somebody I used to uh, used to work with. And that was like the most stressful part of the semester for me so far. It actually like kind of kept me up one night um, awake. You know, I couldn't sleep because of it because it was getting close to the assignment date. And I don't like to let things go. You know, I like to, even if I haven't had it done, I like to have a plan of how I'm going to do it. And this was an issue like before I figured out who I was going to assess where I really didn't have a plan. I had tried to reach out to an old cohort, an old supervisor to get somebody and they didn't, they didn't email me back. So I was like kind of sweating, like, what am I going to do? You know, I don't want to wait until the last minute. I'm actually going away this weekend. I'm not going to be able to find someone. And then I, I buckled down and it made it the priority. I was like, I can't do anything else until I get this, this shit resolved because it's going to affect everything else I have to do. So that's what I did. And I got it resolved. And I, I ended up talking to the guy Friday and we met on Saturday and he was super helpful. So if you're listening, Ochin, thank you. <laughs> um, let's see. I wanted to talk about one more thing. So, I, uh, so your home exercise is to take stock of where you're at with your goal. Change direction if you need to. Um, if it's something that you realize, you know what, I don't know why I set this fucking goal. <laughs> um, then it's time to, to make a new one, right? We got eight, eight weeks left in the semester, nine weeks, something like that. So there's plenty of time to buckle down and, and, and set a goal that matters to you and, and, you know, work on it a little bit at a time. Every time maybe you listen to this podcast, you, you decide, all right, for 15 minutes, I'm going to, I'm going to dedicate to this goal or an hour or, you know, whatever it is, hopefully the routine of it will will help you. I really tried to stick to my Tuesday uh, release schedule. Hope you appreciate it. Okay. Um, one last thing I just wanted to mention, a kind of recent moment of clarity I had related to my goal from last semester, um, where I had the goal of, of creating an online class. And I succeeded, and I was really impressed. I, I was proud of myself for doing it. It was uh, a challenging project, and it was bigger. it was bigger than it should have been. Uh, but I got it done, and, and I was really proud of it. And then you switch once you create something like that, because I wanted to, to make some money with it, to promoting it, you know, and selling it. And that's kind of what I worked on all summer. And uh, I had really bad results. Um, and not only were my results poor, I have had real trouble selling this thing. Um, but I haven't really wanted to. <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, you know, I, I was so excited to do it. And then when I started doing it, I realized I don't really like self-promotion. Um, I don't like trying to sell something. I just don't like it. I, I was doing, you know, advertisements through Facebook and stuff, and it just didn't feel like me. And I, I talked to a few people about this. Um, I was like, what is this issue, you know, where I, the creation process is really my passion, but this promoting it afterwards to try and, you know, earn a return on it just is not for me. And the moment of clarity I had is really kind of horrible in a sense, but is that online, acing my online class, which ace your online class was the name of the course, really wasn't, didn't turn out to be my passion. 
You know, um, I, I like the technology of online learning and I think it's an important thing. And I think the class could be really helpful to people, but as far as just being like my space or, or my, my brand, um, it wasn't something I was excited enough about to do every day or to think about or to just like pour a bunch of resources and time into. I really struggled to, to promote it over the summer and it, it, it should have made me figure this out. It's like, it's not that I don't like promoting. It's that I just, that, that was something that when I was done, I realized, eh, I don't think that this is like a super big passion of mine. Um, so where does that leave me, right? I, I put a good amount of money into to this thing um, and really have nothing to show for it in terms of, of um, earnings. And, um, you know, I kind of made some mistakes along the way. I spent some money I shouldn't have. Um, but I choose to look at it in a different way. So first off, I decided early on, well, I think so, because I didn't continue to pour money. I actually had money budgeted that I haven't spent because I just haven't felt that it was the right thing to do. And the other thing that made me realize this is, is starting up this podcast again. You know, I, I was away from it for, you know, three months and that was a great break. And I realized that that is what I need to make this sustainable for me. I wouldn't be able to do this podcast every single week, 52 weeks a year. Um, I just know it. And so the, the semester schedule, the episode, you know, the seasons of doing 15 in the fall, 15 in the spring is really workable for me. And doing this podcast, I realized, you know what? Promoting this podcast is fucking easy. I don't have any problem with that. So it made me realize it's not promotion I don't like because I do promote myself. I talk about myself a fuck of a lot on this show. Um, probably bore you at times, but that's the only way I know how to teach people things is give examples from my own life. And, you know, it shows I hope that I practice what I preach. I, I preached the, in an episode back in the spring season, I think, that, you know, it's okay to quit things. And you shouldn't feel like a loser if there's something that you were really into and then you find out you don't. Don't keep beating your head against the wall and because in the name of seeing it through, if you really know deep down, it's not for you. And that's what happened with me. I'm not going to take the, the course down or anything. I'm going to figure out, I'm going to leverage it into something else. I know that. I just don't know what it is yet. But I think in about the money I invested into the course and, I, and into this business and that it will probably not ever get you know a return on it for that particular thing. But I invested that money into educating myself. Uh, I got a crash course in how to build a business and how to fail at it. <laughs> and maybe maybe fail is too strong of a word because it's only been a few months and, and I, I think that there's good things to come. Um, but I just mean that making the realization was, was good in that I know that I'm not going to put any more like monetary investment into it. And the the money that I did invest was in education for myself of like next time I do this, I know the stuff that works for me and I know some of the stuff that doesn't. I know how to edit video now. I have some software. I have, um, you know, I have everything set up to build another business. You know, I know how to make a website. Uh, I know how to hire freelancers to get things done that I don't know how to done. And that was kind of scary in the beginning, but now it's fucking easy. So I bring this goal up because that was some progress that I've made on that goal. And in the progress in, in the end was, I'm not going to continue with that goal. I'm going to turn it into something else. 
Um, but I'm definitely going to be continuing this podcast, you know, into the spring semester and, and hopefully beyond because, you know, like I said, doing that and then coming back to this in the fall really solidified what I know I love to do and what I thought I really liked to do. And it turns out it wasn't as big a passion for me as I thought. So hope that, you know, that experience kind of helps you in, in kind of resolving some things for yourself if you're feeling like I should be more into this than I am. Why is that? You know, it's okay. Take that deep look. And if you find that you may need to quit something or, or make a change on the fly, hey man, that's okay. So with that, uh, hope you guys have a great week this week. I will, I think, be back at you next week with another interview. Three in a row. Killing it. Uh, I hope you like the interviews. Um, I like them. I really like them. And, and doing this interview with Faye solidified my my need to continue to interview college students. You know, I love the experts too. And this interview today will be with uh, an, an expert in, in an area. I don't want to give it away yet. <laughs> Get you to tune in next week. But I really fucking love talking to college students with mental health issues and getting them on the show and talking about their experiences and what they learned and what they can teach us all. Um, so if you are out there and you have, uh, you, you don't even have to be graduated yet. You have achieved something recently and kind of know why you did it and think that other people can benefit from hearing your story. Reach out to me on college student success podcast.gmail.com. With that, have a great week, guys. Peace.